In a world where heresy blankets the airwaves, religious stuffed shirts suck the life out of Sunday morning, and prosperity teachers rob grandmothers of their pensions, three unassuming ministers endeavor to shine the light of biblical theology and put the fun back in fundamentalism. Broadcasting live from the Hall of Dogma... Brought to you this week by Sigmund Freud. Welcome in to episode 62 of the Gospel Friends. I am Reverend Verbage. I am Chase Captain Crunchy Thompson. And I am Nuclear Nick. Did you guys know that Sigmund Freud had an irrational fear of the number 62? Really? Yes, he did. Why? I don't know. His that's as far as like I got number. in my research. Well, that's some bang-up research there, David. That That's impressive. That's Ph.D. level, actually. Well, look, I don't, uh, I'm usually just looking for little uh, number bites. So are you Googling Sigmund Freud in 62? Yeah, but knowing Freud, I'm quite sure I'm going to find something terrible. Yeah, so. it's going to go badly for you. Sigmund Freud. Uh, An irrational um, fear of the number 62. Well, while I was driving over to the studio earlier, I ran over a 62, and it uh, it actually messed up my tire, so I get it. You ran over a 62? Yep. Well, that's odd. How did you run over a 62? I don't know. I made that up. Why oh. would somebody have an irrational fear of the number 62? It's not like it can physically hurt you. I don't know. I will try to research that a little bit more. Nick, what are we doing you here? You mean researching it at all? Yeah. More than that I've done so far. What? Yes, none. Uh, we got a couple of different things on tap today we're going to talk about one of your heroes yep and uh that's uh, going to go i guess he was a hero i'm not yeah, sure if it's going to go sadly to for you anymore we already talked about one of your heroes nick sigmund freud <laughs> really really <laughs> i'm not the one never mind we're going to leave that for the after show uh after we talk about your hero you are going to well it's a good lead actually where you're going to ask what were you thinking Yep, And then we are going to try to redeem the show and bring up the one and only Mr. David Platt. Hey, so, one of my real heroes. Friend of the show, David Platt. Friend of the show, as in... Well, we asked he, him to be on the show one time, <laughs> and he said no, so he's our friend. <laughs> wow. Did he really say no, or he, did he just ignore us? His people said no. No, oh, no, he, his people replied. Did they really? Yeah. He never told us that. What did they say? If he had ignored us, he wouldn't be our friend. But oh. since they replied, he's a friend of the show, David Platt. What kind, of, uh, what kind of... I never have heard this story, so what kind of turndown did we get? Uh, was he washing his hair? No, let's see. I'll try to look it up. Get, talk, talk about something interesting for a minute, and I'll let you know. So tell us about your heroes, David. Um, oh, this is how we're going to move into the first segment. I was still trying to look up Sigmund Freud in 62. All right. So if you want to talk about the show, um, this lovely conversation that's happening, there's a couple of places you can do it. The Hall of Dogma is the place where most of our discussion happens. It's a Facebook group. And as long as you are not trying to sell us something um, or uh, sign us up for some strange game, something like that, some of, some type of spam bot we'll pretty much let you in just don't be a jerk um so hall of dogma's facebook group hall of dogma.com will take you straight there at my gospel friends on twitter a couple places couple ways to leave us voicemail all these can be found at our website thegospelfriends.com. if you'd like to subscribe we have a subscribe page there that'll kind of give you the feed or points to the itunes link or you can just search for us in your favorite podcaster I liked how for a moment you were kind of looking over toward the camera. Like Periscope was like still happening. Like Periscope was still <laughs> happening because sometimes we have a live feed for our yep. shows, and we do that on Periscope, and uh, that's not happening this time. No, but it made me feel better to look over there because both of y'all were frantically did, Googling other things. Did you find the David yeah, Platt turndown letter? Yeah, I found letter? it. All Please, right, so uh, go ahead. Hi, Chase. I po- apologize for the delay in responding to you. Unfortunately, David will not be able to participate in the podcast interview as you have detailed below. He is honored by your request, see, he's a friend of the show, but his schedule and responsibilities to his family and the IMB are such that he is unable to accept most invitations at this time. We appreciate you thinking uh, thinking of him and inviting him to be part of your podcast, Brooke. Oh, yeah. well, there you go. So I actually I think Brooke's a friend Very of the thoughtful. show. Well, Why don't you Brooke ask Brooke is. to come in? Brooke, you know, hey, hey that's not a bad idea. I don't know if Brooke is a male or a female, though. Well, you're just assuming. Brooke what difference is a girl. does it make? Why do y'all not like girls? I don't I like think girls. the Bible says anything about 
uh, <laughs> girls being on a podcast. So we should be good on that. All right, I'm going to drop the 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 whole Sigmund Freud 62 thing. If you can figure out why Sigmund Freud was afraid of 62, email that to us so we can know. Can I give some shout outs right now to some female listeners? No, from the Hall of Dogma because okay. you're just going to no. shout out. Let's. Oh, I wish should. you guys would stop oppressing females on this show. I That's want to shout out say. a female from the Hall of Dogma. Which one? Herschel K. Rice's wife, Allison. Yes, who nice. visited the uh, Hall of Dogma. Last week, last week, yeah, and uh, and <laughs> good edit, she David, mentioned good edit. she mentioned that um, when you were naming all of the women in the Hall of Dogma, yes. you skipped her. Well, I was going through a list, Allison, and I was, if you listen carefully, I was interrupted by two boorish gentlemen who did not value. Can you Google that the real quick? Female listeners, yep, absolutely, to this show, and they did not want me to week. give shout-outs to every one of them. So that's shut me down. I, I, I'm sorry. I was persecuted. I was uh, trying to stand for righteousness, and I was persecuted. Which is why when you visited, he made such a mad dash to come and visit you and shake your hand and spend time. I told you last week I was visiting with widows and orphans. So Hulk or Hogan. hiding behind another Hall Dog member. Hulk Hogan. Hulk. Hulk Hogan. Hogan is the – do we have his entrance music we could play for this segment? We've got to. Okay. Have we ever told the story about the time you preached to the Hulk Hogan intro music? Because no. that was epic. Oh, that's got to be stricken from the record. It happened. I still love this song. Probably copyright. I'm sticking my hand in my ear, listening for shouts as this happens. All right, so Hulk Hogan, who it's well known. I am a huge professional wrestling fan. Have been for since I was five years old. Uh, we all three of us uh, watch from time to time professional wrestling still. We usually try to get together for WrestleMania every year. You can go back and watch, uh, I forgot what episode that was, that detailed we were trying to get to WrestleMania. And yeah, it was epic. very proudly. It was epic trying to get there. By the way, that forgiven. was that was one of our most downloaded episodes. Ever. Really? Yeah. And you still haven't forgiven Josh Witt for that. I still haven't. But anyway, it's it's okay. So uh, Hulk Hogan. Uh, I need to ask you about a is, bit. By the way, okay. Stardust. S- Stardust. He's been calling out an actor. Have you been following that? No. Well, no, Stardust is goofy. Stardust is uh, so. Uh, who is he? Did he used to be a different character? Yeah, well, Gold Dust was uh, is Dustin Reynolds or Dusty Rhodes, right? Dustin Rhodes. So it's Dusty Rhodes' son. Uh, Stardust is his brother Corey. Corey uh, Rhodes. Okay. So, so it's Dustin's. Yes, okay. Dustin's son, uh, brother. So uh, Hulk Hogan, uh, arguably the most famous wrestler. In the history of professional wrestling, no, no uh, disagreement. Pretty much anyone who even you mention pro wrestling, they think Hulk, Hulk Hogan. Hogan yeah. And if you say Hulk Hogan, everybody knows who he is. Uh, Hulk has um, had had rough last eight or nine years in family circles. His his home life pretty much been a wreck. Uh, at, at one point, he was contemplating suicide after his wife and children left. A lot of issues there. Um, in his in his home life, and um, Hulk got uh, caught up in something that a lot of celebrities have gotten caught up in. Um, I'm just going to say, um, uh, how can I say it? It was uh, a scandal involving videoing intimate uh, yeah. activities. Okay, yeah. video recording gone bad. I'm yes. very interested to see how you're going actually to explain not, this to actually, a Christian podcast. Actually, audience. not though. He 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 was being recorded it without was, his knowledge. Yes, it but wasn't anyway. for his own showmanship. It was yes, it was under duplicitous. Can you describe yes. the situation that the recording no, kind of happened? I'm not. It, it, I, well, I think that's the most interesting part of the story. I would tell it, but there's a some passages from Ephesians that say we should not even speak of what people. <laughs> Well, that's of what the evil do in okay. secret. Uh, so I'm Boom, not going uh, to say it. But uh, he, he was being recorded in an intimate setting without his knowledge and apparently made some racist comments. And um, everybody is up in arms about this the racist big comments. Moral, big moral fail <laughs> like all around Everybody here. has known about the... Uh, the the video recording right. for quite a few years, but now that they have found out what was said on the video recording... Uh, which included some racist comments, um, he is in a lot of hot water. And essentially what has piqued my interest about Hogan, and this is where we're going with this, is that the World Wrestling Entertainment, the company that he made, okay, that company, he put them on the map and made them into what they are. 
that company has fired him and not only fired him, pulled all of his merchandise from their store. You can't even buy Hulk Hogan shirt from them. You'd have to go find it in an aftermarket store wow. or something like that. And they have completely erased that from the uh, erased him from the Hall of Fame. Here's the question. Hulk Hogan's legacy essentially has been tarnished, even erased at this point. He's not even in the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame, which is, you know, people may laugh at that, but his life has been given to this sport and his career and making his name. And now as he enters probably the last seasons of his life, I mean, he's 61, he could live several more decades, but he, as he enters those latter years, everything he's done has been essentially a race, not from people's memories, but from the record books, if you will, and the company that he made mm-hmm. because of sin. Not that yep. they're morally concerned about that, but because right. of a huge mistake. And, I, you know, I, I guess there's kind of two questions there, but the primary one just being as men, as, you know, women, as, you know, people living this life how concerned should we be about legacy? And when we go to make choices that, you know, how, how, how much should that be in our thought process? I mean, does it, how much does it matter? You know, legacy. Um, and, and, you know, cause you kind of see his being destroyed. And, and to me, somebody I grew up watching him, um, I know what he did was wrong. I'm not condoning it. But man, he's losing like everything. He's losing everything over one one little incident. Yeah, yeah. well, over over. I mean, I'm one yeah. little. I say one little. Yeah, exactly. Little. I don't want to make it's it big. like it's not it's a, a big, big deal. deal. It is a big deal, but lasted less than two minutes. I mean, guys, guys like Dennis Rodman, who uh, is a good friend of Hulk Hogan, has come to his defense and said, "Look, the guy's not a racist." I've known him for years. We've hung out. He's not a racist. Well, Rodman's trustworthy. Yeah, Rodman. I mean, Rodman's a delegate to North Korea. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, he's, he's ambassador. You can listen to him. But I'm just saying, whether he's a racist or not, regardless, and let's just say for the sake of argument, he is, um, should that erase everything he's accomplished and done? Well, I think Nick should go first on this. I just one one thing I need to say before you jump in, Nick, is – you talked earlier about him having a tarnished legacy, and I really think a good sponging would really help that out a lot. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, what what caught me early in, in your in your discussion was when you said he's had family trouble. His family's been a wreck for years, and for for me as a man, as, as a husband, and as a father, the the next thing down in priority from the Lord and my relationship with God is my family. Now, my work is something that is high on that priority list, but it's in order to first be a godly man and follow kind of that out, that plan God laid out for men in the curse, but also to support my wife and, and, and support my children and things like that. And so when you get these priorities out of whack, and what I, and what I fear is that Hogan is a man that put his career and eventually his name above his family mm-hmm. and what what they meant and, and how they mattered to him. And, you know, in one of these interviews, he was he was kind of um, ranting or, or complaining about his relationship with his daughter and how much money he's put into her, her musical career and things like this without any type of appreciation and things like that. And it just makes me go, where where did things kind of get off kilter for him? Because I'm I'm pretty sure, you know, Look, I've watched Hogan for years as well, and, and you know there was a time I've even seen some of his reality show, and it just you know sometimes sure he, he gets the the bumbling dad look of <laughs> he didn't quite know what's going on, which um, you know I understand that got dads who work, especially maybe travel for work, you know their their wives manage their household and things like that, but you still have to be present, you still have to be involved, and I don't wonder if there wasn't more engagement there if it wouldn't have made some of these other things more difficult. If you hadn't been seeking maybe his own name, what kind of legacy yeah, do you it, want to leave? I it, guess is the question. It's yeah. interesting. I, th- I think that's great. And a great question. And I think it's interesting depending on who you talk to. I read an interview with him not too long ago where he, people asked him, uh, essentially he said that he would have retired around 1990. Wow. Um, wow. He had made all the money 
in the that he needed to make. Um, his kids were young; he wanted to spend time with them, and that he wanted to retire, but that his wife had some ideas about a, you know some new houses, new things that she wanted. And so he decided in order to kind of fund those things, he needed to keep working a while longer. Wow. Um, wow. She really wasn't content, he said, with where they were. She wanted more. Now, whether or not that's true or not, I don't know. Um, but I, I think it is a, I think it is a you know, good question. I mean, this is a guy who's maybe seemingly put career first. Um, and, and I guess that's kind of your point. It seems he could have, or he could have been concerned about his name, yeah. you know, and putting which legacy is more important, the legacy of the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame or the legacy of his wife and his children. And mm-hmm. Most of the time we, we, we take these things from a Christian angle, and there's there's obviously a lot. Hulk Hogan claims to be a Christian, and I, I don't know his heart. I, I can, I mean, we can all look at his life and look at things that are going on and say, bro, we need to have a conversation. Yeah, I don't think look like things are lining up, but he, but he claims that he was saved when he was uh, really young. And, and you said uses very uh, he uses I was yeah language. I mean he uses the typical evangelical I you know you accepted Christ uh, accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior when I was you know fourteen or whatever the age was. Um, so we could apply the obviously like even the 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 you know the man who built his house on the rock versus the man who built his house on the sand. And maybe Hogan is a guy who built his whole life on sand and the storm has come and mm-hmm. washed everything he has built away. And it is all essentially crashed. The great was the fall of it all. And maybe that is what is happening uh, here. A, a, a guy that I follow on Twitter, who's uh, a Christian tweeted out this past week no one should be branded for life and discarded because of the worst mistake they've ever made hashtag hulk hogan um how does that strike you uh, that's kind of my question is you know this kind of someone makes does something a character flaw comes out and it you know it just happened with the duggers and tlc and you know i think this thing that's happened with hogan is obviously much worse but um celebrities who were under kind of a big spotlight like this, something comes out about their character, and now, kind of nowadays, the thing is, let's keep face by completely distancing ourselves and shunning them. Just wonder if that's the right, always the right, um, I don't know, avenue. Well, I'll say this, in response to the tweet itself, you know, an accident is, is like you're walking along, you stub your toe, and you fall down. Um. It is. It, it. I have not seen the tape of what Hulk Hogan said or did, but I've read a little Probably bit of it. Uh, need to. Well, I, I mean, have you seen it? No. I, yeah, I was going to say I don't think it's been released, but I, it's it, just reading some of the transcript of what has been released to kind of smear him. It's not. It's not like you accidentally say these things. What he's saying is coming out of a heart that has thought these things for quite some time. Is Hulk Hogan, you know, a deep, uh, hardcore racist? I kind of doubt that. Is there some racism in his heart that comes out through that language? Well, it sure seems like that. It's not like he accidentally said the N-word. He went on a rant. Yeah. And, and so this is not a mistake in a moment. This is a mistake that happened that, that, that happened over time of putting and allowing bad things, bad thoughts, bad uh, persuasions to fester in his heart. You know, I think about... I think about King David along those lines. Uh, at, at the end of his life, here, here's a guy who is still listed in the New Testament even as a man after God's own heart, yet he committed murder. Uh, but he was, he was a worshiper of God. He had a tremendous, catastrophic failure in regards to Bathsheba. And, and it didn't just happen because he was strolling one night and and happened to see her and then said, well, I'm going to kill her husband. It, it, there were things that led up to that. But when he was ready to die, Second King, uh, 1 Kings 2, 1 through 4 said this, When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, 
enemies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do, and wherever you turn, the Lord may establish his word word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Well, we know what happened with Solomon. Solomon fell away from God. And I've wondered before, did Solomon fall away from God because he saw his dad fall away Mm -hmm. from God? So in terms of thinking about legacy, in terms of thinking about uh, losing everything for a single act, I always go back to David who lost his kingdom, lost his son, lost an enormous amount in not an instant, but in a single cataclysmic sort of series of of terrible sinful life decisions most of us who are you know most people listening to the show all of us we're not going to deal with an issue like hogan did where we've built up this huge fame and fortune um but all of us have an opportunity for legacy last week we did a, a episode uh, did a segment about the ashley madison website the the people who were signing up on there for affairs, um, trying to have affairs on their spouses and things like that. There are, there are people right now, maybe some who are listening to the podcast, but all around us, regardless, who are working to try and build something for their family. Maybe it's a home. Uh, maybe it's a, a nest egg. Um, but they're playing with sin. They're, they, they've got those heart conditions, like you talked about, Chase, that they're not dealing with. And maybe it's an affair, maybe it's a temptation with pornography, but it's something, it's something that nobody knows about or only a couple of people know about. And in your mind, it you're doing more good than you're doing bad, and so, like, that's okay. But that thing can wreck and probably will wreck your legacy uh, to your kids, mm-hmm. to your grandkids. Um, there is something that I think that legacy that is worth giving, obviously, is the legacy of being a righteous person who loved the Lord, and you pass that on. And that can be ruined in an instant by secret sin, more, uh, you know, more aptly said, secret sexual sin. And all of us have to be aware of that. And I think um, maybe hopefully let that drive us toward making, you know, right on the cusp of, of making a really bad decision, thinking about that pulling back from it. Yeah. Um, John the Baptist is vigorously nodding his head and raising his hand in approval of what you're saying. Yeah, good old our mascot, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, good word there, um, guys. It's good discussion. Um, First of all, cheers, Chase. Um, Seems like you popped the cap on a a cold one. I'm bad about that. There, a cold Coke Zero. There you go. For those wondering, um, now we're going to move into a different type of segment that actually has some similarity with that last segment because you would be what. Where's my transition? What? Oh, Lord, we're doing that now? Fine. Where, I mean, where's that at? We've been, we've been without it for like four episodes. I know, and the fans are clamoring. Meanwhile, in the future, at the Hall of Dogma. I don't think that's the one the fans are clamoring for, Nick. You sure? This I'm, fan is. I'm pretty, pretty, pretty sure that's as we head into what were you thinking, they want to hear something else. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Dogma. Wait for it. That was awful. <laughs> Our uh, production quality is through the roof. I would like to point tight. out that there's We're a similarity tight. within that last okay. wow, article Yep. in this segment, and that would be the title. What were you thinking? The segment of the Gospel Friends where we look at the world around us to see what kind of crazy things are happening out there. The Centers for Disease Control, which I believe are based out of Atlanta, Georgia. Is that correct? CDC, CDC is in Atlanta. Good the job, CDC David. in Hotlanta, home of Superdad, Kristen Brown. They Shut want up. us to know something. Public service announcement. Not a female. Kissing your pet chicken can <laughs> spread salmonella. Well, Josh Dean, be on the lookout. You know, Josh is the first person that I thought about with this. Um, a new notice from Do you the suspect a, a, a sin in that area or something. A new notice. I don't oh, want to. Boy, look, I don't that want might to. Be an edit point. Yeah, I don't want to. I love you, Josh. Yeah, we, we don't want to. 
spoil the name of Dean on here. Look, I it's not some, getting edited. It's not getting edited. Okay. okay. A new notice from the Centers for De- 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 Disease Control. Davies. <laughs> Warn people not to get too cuddly with their pet chickens. <laughs> <laughs> Megan Nichols, a veterinarian with the CDC, told NPR, one of Nick's favorite radio stations, we do not recommend snuggling or kissing the birds or touching them. To your mouth. Who has to be told this? Touching them to your mouth. Because that is certainly one way people become infected with salmonella. Who becomes infected with salmonella by well, snuggling or kissing their chickens? I knew a family of chicken kissers from Blunt County, and about a third of them wow. had salmonella. Are you- <laughs> Who? <laughs> the Fredericksons. Do we know any Fredericksons? I don't, but I don't think he's kidding either. (laughs) While poultry do appear clean, they do carry it. Bacteria. They don't appear clean at all. Have you ever been around chickens? (laughs) They smell terrible. The CDC says that there's been an uptick in salmonella infections. Is this what Child Millionaire wrote a song about? (laughs) I think so. Wait, listen. There's been an uptick in salmonella infections from live poultry, and it's linked to more people keeping foul like chickens, ducks, and turkeys in their no backyards. No pun intended, obviously. And kissing them, apparently. And apparently, snuggling and kissing them or touching them to your mouth. <laughs> so, before you touch chicken to your mouth, be sure it's properly cleaned Dude, and I'm cooked. I'm going to hug you like a slide. Japanese chair. Sorry. Uh, okay. Like a good place for that one. Well, let's, uh, that was a good PSA. I think I feel like we just <clears throat> saved at least five to seven people from uh, a couple of days of severe, severe diarrhea. diarrhea. Which is, listen, no matter what kind of warmth you get from snuggling with your chicken, it is not worth. <laughs> it is not worth two days. Stop! 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 Why are you looking at Windows wallpaper on your? Oh. <laughs> What should I look at when we're talking about kissing chickens? Let's go to Ireland. Ireland, home yes, of, please. well, James I, McSorley, my family, but also James McSorley. I, I'm actually, guys, as an Irishman, a bit embarrassed about this story we're about to do. From Not the last one? Uh, well, no, that, that didn't happen in Ireland. That was just a CDC warning. Northern Ireland in the county of Fermanagh. Wow. Fermanagh. Yeah, probably. Dung spitting competition is a crappy way to prove yourself. A dung spitting competition? Oh, no. This is worse than the chicken kissing. Visitors to Irvinstown 37th Annual Lady of the Lake Festival in Northern Ireland were treated to a new event, a dung spitting competition. It's exactly what it sounds like. Participants took... (laughs) In case you were wondering. Participants took sheep excrement into their mouths and tried to spit it farther than their opponents, Chase. (laughs) There's a picture of a guy with poo in his mouth about to spit it out. Oh, no. That's so bad. And he looks totally Irish. James, uh, do something. Festival organizers uh, posted on Facebook that they were seeking volunteers for the dung contest, and the winner would receive... Uh, one hundred fifty-five dollars, hundred euros. <laughs> what? No. The current no. world record is five point five six meters. <laughs> oh, I can beat that. <laughs> Prove it. It is likely, though, that next the, week it is likely uh, that the actual record is fifteen meters, possibly set in two thousand six by a man in South Africa, where some consider dung spitting a sport. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best ever. Kudu dung spitting is a sport practiced by the Afrikaner community in South Africa. In the competition, small large pellets of dung from the Impala are spat with the farthest distance recorded being the winner. Impala dung spitting is popular enough to have an annual world championship competition. (laughs) In related news, the CDC announced this week that dung spitting (laughs) is a great thing. All right. I'm, All right, so one more, one more. 
No, no, no. I no. You've lost. What, you've what? lost your privileges at this point. For what were you thinking? Oh, okay, let me just give you the headline, and you come on, come on. Guys attempt to take rattlesnake selfie ends with one hundred fifty three thousand dollar bill. You don't hear about that? <laughs> at this point, no, no. Hey, I we don't. have talked about that guy, didn't we? This new guy. Oh, a different guy. <laughs> Indeed. What were you thinking? So I actually have one this week. You have a what were you thinking? I do. This oh, this sweet. left I me. I love it when you guys hijack my segments. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, Florida Church loses tax-exempt status over raunchy, wet and wild spring break twerking parties. A Florida church lost its tax-exempt status <laughs> after hosting this? nude parties and slumber what? parties featuring the sexiest ladies on Wait, the beach. Wait, did you just say a nude? Nude? Yeah. The, a church. Okay, so the Life Center or Spiritual Community has been operating a party schedule as Amnesia the Tabernacle seven days a week (laughs) since February 28th. This is like that church we talked about a few weeks ago in um, the the first church of cannabis. (laughs) Yeah, this... So I've or the had, nudist church from like the first couple of episodes. Oh, uh, White Tail Chapel. White Tail Chapel. Yeah. No, that's that was really no, it. Oh, white I know. Tail Chapel. It's like Chase's legs. Um, wow. But no, my legs are not that white. They're pretty white. So I, I do have the. What were you thinking about this? But it actually got me thinking to poor evangelism strategies. That so you've been a youth pastor. You've been a youth pastor. Um, Chase's was in a little bit different of a, of a time. So <laughs> that's not true. The back 90s the, and 2000s. Back in the 50s. <laughs> wasn't that long Evangelism ago. was a lot different back in the 50s when Chase served. So what, what I was going to say is, is well, Way I was back in 2007. I was still attending youth groups when Chase was a youth pastor. So that's the point I'm trying to make. And what I'm going to say is that I remember some pretty crazy attempts at evangelism. Chase was almost my youth pastor, by the way, as a side funny note. Wow. David had much more uh, sensible up. evangelism strategies when he was a youth pastor, but I just have this idea that evangelism has gotten a little bit out of control, that it's no longer an attempt to spread the gospel, but it is how many people now I don't I am not going to call what this was an evangelism strategy. This is something yeah, that this, is, like a real this is something masquerading as But you're right, there are things that are happening out there that are So I, I just wanted to kind of pick you guys' brain about evangelism run amok and just are we calling things evangelism that aren't really that they're really just let's let's get more people crammed in our building let's get more people to our conference or our event and and what do we do about that so um maybe we'll leave the twerking to the side but chase kind of you're the one with the most uh interesting youth experience okay (laughs) well here's the thing about evangelism the number one I don't one really know that I just wanted to see Chase Angel awkward thing that evangelism has to have <coughs> is the gospel because that's where the name evangelism comes from. It's a little you, radical. Well, yeah, it's it's it's, it's it should be self-evident. Evangelism is all about the gospel. Now, is there ways of doing that? Yes, you can do servant evangelism. For instance, going and raking somebody's yard. But raking somebody's yard and saying, we just do that so that you'll know God loves you, is not servant evangelism. It's just being nice. Because the gospel is not God loves you. So having a twerking party, heaven forbid, is not any sort of evangelism. Um Evangelism has to have the gospel. Now, can it be delivered in creative ways with creative methods? Certainly. Sometimes I worry, however, that we substitute the power of God, anointing, uh, speaking with with authority. You know, I think about some of the guys like John Praying Hyde and and, and people like Reese Howells, who these deep, abiding people that just were so used by the Holy Spirit, not great speakers, not uh, charismatic presences, not uh, Joel Osteen-like smiles, but people that abided in, in the prayer room with Jesus and proclaimed the gospel faithfully and saw amazing things happen. I think too often we don't know how that was done with those people, and we substitute every freaking other thing for it. And we're just we're just selling, and out. we've got passionate Chase back. Yes. Well, okay. So, I absolutely agree uh, with Chase. I think you know from a from a youth perspective, and I will say that that's what I think of most. That's of what I think what of with the really task. bad evangelism. I think a couple a couple of shows ago, I talked about even man, just you know, 
I, I don't even like taking the youth to, you know, on beach trips. Like I'm always like, ah, is that, you know, at, at the same time I, I took a, you know, we had a youth uh, retreat um, to a, uh, a camp when I was a youth pastor one year. So it was, it was incredibly, I felt incredibly godly, God word, uh, really had what we felt like were, and just really moves of the spirit on uh, during the retreat. Um, and at the same time, we, we had uh, a part of the, the weekend where, you know, we had a, uh, went swimming like big pond that was there. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, uh, and, and so, you know, I, I, I'm not, um, you know, we had a lot of rules around that with, you know, w- what you could wear and not wear and things like that. So I, I don't want to be too judgmental with that. I, here's the angle that I would take from both a church perspective, but really a youth perspective. I, here is where I was blessed as a youth pastor. I was blessed to be a youth pastor in a church that was primarily concerned about the discipleship of the kids who were in the youth group. And I served at the time, uh, you know, uh, as I was the youth pastor, Chase was here as our senior pastor, and so I'm serving under him, and he is... And he um, had a no-twerking policy. He did. He had a yeah. no-twerking policy, uh, although he was okay with... Uh, Chicken kissing. Well, I was going to say, um, you know, scratching an itch against a tree, but nevertheless... <laughs> wow. Um, you, you know, there was you the Dougie at times. You, <laughs> you know, it was... Uh, there was not pressure to grow right. the youth group uh, from a perspective of, hey, David, we really need the numbers to go up. And it is my feeling that that is primarily what youth pastors are graded on. In yeah, it feels that way. most churches, are they growing the youth group? I'm painting with a broad brush, but that's my feeling. And I think a lot of pastors are graded on that. I think a lot of people and culture, that's the idea that we have for a successful church is a bigger church. Right. Successful youth group is a bigger youth group. If I am graded on how I did, quote-unquote, as a youth pastor based on numeric growth, I was a pretty big failure because we didn't numerically grow during that time. Um, I hope there was a lot of spiritual fruit mm-hmm. and, and discipleship that was done. Uh, growth was not. Here's the, here's the thing. Is... As evangelism for the church, for youth groups, become about getting more people in the building and making the congregation bigger. Because if so, if that's your goal, evangelism will look a whole lot different mm-hmm. than, you know, if your goal is evangelism for the point of making disciples. If your evangelism is for the point of making your church bigger, it's going to look much different. And I tend to think that. Somewhere along the line, American evangelism has become a little bit more about how do we get growth. more people to our location to growth. Growth is not always bad. I, I'm not. No, I'm not. I, I don't. I, I don't want to come out completely against numeric growth. Like it doesn't matter. I think it can be a sign of health. Yeah. But I. I mean, I, I've seen churches doing evangelism things that is giving away. You know, really. Rich Church is giving away televisions on Easter Sunday. Or gift certificates for attending. Or, or gift certificates or, or you know. Uh, I'm not sure know, where I stand on that. I think I don't like that. But. Youth groups on, you know, youth groups for, uh, you know, giving away prizes. Uh, most Whoever brings the most people in one month yeah. can win this. I, I, I don't know. I, I, motivation I get, but. I think God, I think anything that's not gospel centered and gospel centered motivation ultimately is going to fail. And and from what I heard you saying earlier, we're trading out the power of God for the plans of men to techniques and things like that. And true evangelism is supposed to look a lot different. And and yeah. I don't think primarily concerned with growth. Yeah. Well, that was a funny story, Nick. <laughs> okay. Wasn't wasn't necessarily meant to oh, be wait. funny. You know, I. There's a local ministry that used to to be in Birmingham, and and they got. There's a lot of people with a lot of different opinions, but but you have church services or, or conferences that look more like a a rock concert and sound more like a motivational motivational speech than it than it does church. And I am I am all for trying to meet 
an audience where they are. I, I have no problem with engaging youth with a style of music or, or a style of presentation that would, would engage them and capture their attention. But if it's just to capture their attention, it's just to get them in the building, and it's not to point them to Jesus and try to get them engaged in a community that will uphold them and, and push them along in their faith, that becomes problematic. So, I, you know, to clarify, I've got no problem with the, the exciting or the, the energetic or anything like that. I don't think any of us do. But I guess my exhortation, my encouragement, my push is that when, when, you, when you look to pull people in by that, have a, have a solid foundation for them to, to step foot into, to walk out a, a plan, not just, okay, we've got them here. Good. So. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, the notes say whiplash back to serious, but we're already at serious, surprisingly enough, uh, very early in the show for us to be serious. So I guess we'll stay in Not serious. really early, actually. How, are we, how deep are we in? Like 47 minutes. Golly, that all passed very fast. Yeah. We talk a lot. <laughs> no doubt about that. So we're going to talk about friend of the show, David Platt's strategy for missions. Now, just peel, peeling back the curtain a little bit, the Hall of Dogma Church is a Southern Baptist church, but we are a very unusual Southern Baptist church. Some might say Southern Baptist in name only. Um, we have gone for years here with very little interaction with the denominational office. We do occasionally give to support Southern Baptist missions, but we're much more frequent givers to just support missionaries in, in, in general or missions in general, sending people on mission trips, that sort of thing, in a non-denominational kind of sort of way. But since David Platt, who used to be pastor of the church at Brook Hills just down the road from us, since he has ascended to the leadership of the Southern Baptist International Board of Missions, we have all, quite frankly, paid a lot more attention to what's going on because we're all big David Platt guys. Um, and he is essentially revolutionizing the way the IMB is doing missions, taking it from the dark ages into what might just be an entirely new era. So uh, David pointed us this week to a video, uh, audio, in which uh, Platt shared some, some of his strategy. So I think we're going to listen to it for about six or seven minutes and then uh, comment. Go ahead, David. Platt. The opportunities are limitless for doing this. The opportunities, hear this, are limitless for sending missionaries and church planters all over the world to today. As president of the IMB, I praise God for the 4,700 missionaries we have around the world. I praise God for every single one of them. But when I look at the history of missions in the church, I see the Moravians, for example. It was said of the Moravians that one out of every 92 of them were crossing cultures for the spread of the gospel. One out of 92. Can you imagine if that ratio were happening among us today? I mean, they say we have about 15 and a half million members. And I know how pastors are sometimes with numbers. So let's just assume uh, 10 million of those people are actually alive. And... Uh, <laughs> Followers, and it'll make the math easier. If that ratio among the Moravians was happening on Southern Baptists today, that would be over 100,000 missionaries. But we're not even thinking in those kind of terms, and we've got to start thinking in those kinds of terms. We've got to start thinking through how we can... I mean, I read uh, over somewhere over the last nine months that we've had, in the history of the IMB about close to 25,000 missionaries go out from Southern Baptist churches, which is awesome. But the reality is we need 25,000 now. Which leads to the question, well, how do you do that? I just heard you, heard you say you don't have the money to support the 4,700 missionaries we have now. So how can we get 100,000 or even 25,000? I'm glad you asked. Because when you look at the Moravians, you'll see they weren't doing this because they had a well-financed, sophisticated mission board. Instead, they were taking advantage of the opportunities God had given them for the spread of the gospel around the world. They intentionally looked for ways to use their professions, their gifts, their skills to go into places where the gospel was most needed. They moved their families to work in places where the church didn't exist. Some of them even sold themselves into slavery. They got on slave boats because they knew they'd have opportunities to share the gospel in countries where they would work as slaves. And if the Moravians were doing that centuries ago, how much more 
Should we be doing this today in light of the globalization of today's marketplace? What if God has designed the globalization of today's marketplace to open up opportunities for the spread of his gospel? You think about the opportunities that exist for men and women across our churches. The other day I was on a plane uh, with a guy who who, uh, recognized me, started talking with me um, from some Bible studies he did, video Bible studies, and uh, his name was Hugh. Hugh's from Demopolis, Alabama. Anybody from Demopolis, Alabama? Crickets. Well, so nobody's from Demopolis. Demopolis is no metropolis. I can tell you that. This is small town, Alabama. And uh, I said, Hugh, where are you traveling? He said, I'm traveling to Mexico City. I said, oh, really? What are you doing there? He said, well, I have a lumber business and we're expanding into Mexico City. I said, oh, really? And he's traveling with his uh, 24-year-old assistant who is fluent in Mandarin and Spanish. And I said, well, do you have business in other countries? He said, oh, yeah, we're in China and in Indonesia. We're looking to get into Malaysia and uh, working to get into Dubai and the Middle East. I said, Hugh, have you ever thought about how God's blessed you, not just for the spread of lumber, but for the sake of the gospel, going to all these places to the platforms you have? We began this conversation. I just got off the plane thinking, there's Hugh's all over the Southern Baptist Convention. There's Hughes all over the churches represented just in this room alone. People that God is giving opportunities for the spread of the gospel. So what if we stopped just thinking about missionaries in terms of people who leave their jobs to go overseas and began to think about missionaries in terms of people who leverage their jobs to go overseas? I think about one couple from Brook Hills where I was pastoring a He's a teacher, or he's an engineer, she's a teacher. They came to me one day and they said, uh, you know, pastor, I don't know if this counts as being a missionary, but uh, we figured out we could uh, teach and do engineering in this country in Asia where they don't, have very, they don't have churches or the gospel. So we're thinking about going and getting a teaching and engineering job there. Do you think that's okay? I said, I don't care what you call it. You're going to that country. This is, the opportunities are limitless and the appetite is there. I read an article the other day that said 71% of graduating millennials expect and want to work in an overseas assignment at some point in their career. And companies are specifically tailoring job assignments accordingly. Now, you think about it, that changes the way we send students off to college. We don't just send them to get a degree so they can get a job and coast things out in cultural Christianity until they get to heaven. We send them to college, they're thinking, what kind of degree can I get that will open doors for me to spread the gospel in this part of the world or that part of the world? What kind of education or experience is going to help me get a job in North Africa or the Middle East or Central Asia? And you put all this together, now you got people who are working all over the world intentionally for the spread of the gospel, and who's paying for it? The nations are paying for it. The nations are unknowingly funding a mission force for the glory of our God. This changes the way we think about our work and our studies. And, you know, along those lines, you think about all the opportunities that exist for students to study overseas. I read another article recently that talked about the the, uh, just a whole list of universities, tons of them globally, where students, American students can come and study tuition free. They'll cover housing, all these um, just full scholarships for students to come and study in universities around the world. They can get their entire degree in English while living in the midst of all kinds of different people groups. That's professional students, retirees, who realize that Uncle Sam won't just pay them to live in South Florida and play golf, but they can actually use Uncle Sam's money to live in South Africa and spread the gospel. Do we realize the opportunities that God has divinely orchestrated for us to make disciples and multiply churches around the world? The question is, are we going to take them? Are we going to let our minds broaden And in our churches, begin to say to people, global mission is not a compartmentalized program in the church for a select few people who are called to that. The glory of God among the nations is actually the reason you have breath on the planet. And so how can we all think through our gifts, our skills, our experience, our education, and look for opportunities for the spread of the gospel around the world? All right, guys. Is this a big deal, little deal, or oh wait, wrong <laughs> show. Good try. Segment. Yeah, that's uh, Mike and Mike. Yeah, that, that's actually well. To answer your question, it's a big deal. It's an awesome deal. I think it's great. Yep. Uh, David, why don't you lead us off in in, in commenting on on what you take on this strategy, which it, 
personally, I'm not trying to poison the witness. I think this is revolutionary. Yeah, well, I, I think that uh, you know I've listened to uh, Platt for years. Um, he's he was here local. Uh, he right as I was getting into ministry is when he arrived at Brook Hills and uh, heard him speak when I took some youth there to a youth conference uh, right as he was coming on and and just have you know been impressed with him for years. Just kind of followed his teaching and. Um, uh, you know, still listen to his podcast now that he's IMB president. So uh, I'm a, a Platt fan, so to speak, if, if you want to you know, have whatever terminology you want to use. He probably uh, wouldn't like it, but. Yeah, he probably would. I, I mean, you know, I, what, I don't like using the word fan, but, you know, Platt's a guy that I admire and uh, have gotten a lot out of his teaching over the years. Uh, I like what he's doing. It, the, one of the bigger things that I think is that a lot of younger Baptist um, I don't think have a trust maybe of the Southern Baptist Convention in terms of IMB and North American missions and things like that. And I think what he's seen a lot of the younger Baptist pastors and uh, really guys like me has been, have been, why don't we just, you know, rather than send the money off, we don't really know what they're doing. Uh, and we're not really maybe convention guys, so to speak. Right, right. Why don't we, you know, keep that money here and, and see what we could do with it? But but a guy like Platt, who you have a lot of admiration for, and you really believe is this is a guy that is all about the gospel, and he comes along and he takes a position like this, um, president of IMB, and and then he's he's just energized for missions. And if you listen to that whole thing. He is not wanting the IMB to be the the mission source for the Southern Baptist Convention. He wants it to be local pastors. He wants it to be local churches. He talks about that in that in that sermon. Um, and listen, to the whole thing is it's really tremendous to me. Uh, but he wants the IMB to be a tool that is used to help uh, churches and, and pastors, people who've who've been identified as wanting to go on mission. And so he comes along with these kind of just these new ideas, and I think what it's doing is it is like a shot of energy into um, the Southern Baptist Convention, into the IMB, because I think it's getting people, younger pastors, younger churches, who have not really paid any attention much to the convention and what they're doing, it's getting them to take a second look, which is actually what we originally invited Platt to come on the, the show and talk about was... Very forward-thinking of us. Yeah, it was very forward-thinking of us. Little we know, he, he already had it in, in, in tow. But um, So that's the first thing that strikes me, is this, is this is something to get that younger generation, some of the younger pastors and churches, more involved in what's happening. Um, and I, I think, number two, it's, it's, it's what he has always preached about at his, at his own church, which was the church not outsourcing missions, yes, not just giving it over to another entity and saying you run with it. Um, he talks about in that earlier in the message, he lays it at, at the doorstep of pastors and he said, "Pastors, the missionary problem is your problem." When's the, he asked the pastors, "When's the last time your church prayed over unreached peoples? When's the last time your church identified people in your congregation who might be called to be sent out?" And so um, that, that's what I see there. I think there's a lot of new energy, a lot of new ideas. I think it's a very good thing for the convention and for the IMB. Look, I, I, I love it. Um, Chase said this is revolutionary, and I actually kind of chuckled to myself because I wanted to go, well, no, it's kind of what you see all throughout the New Testament is, is people where they are, where they live, spreading the gospel. And, it, and it, yes, there were people in the New Testament that went on missionary journeys, but you also see groups of people that just the church spread organically because of people living their life where they were. And I love that that example he gives of that couple in his church, the teacher and the, the engineer, going, hey, we can do that over here. And that's, yes, it's missions work, but it's not. It's not this typical, in, whenever I was growing up, missionaries had to um, sell all their stuff, quit their jobs, leave any semblance of stability, and and hope you got enough donations, and then leave. And that's this is a completely different mentality than that. Um, it's also him putting his money where his his mouth is. I mean, this is this is not a guy that just talks about. And so this is what I, I guess a concern I would I would have as he talks to the pastors and says, hey. You know, when's the last time you, your church prayed over missions? Is is there a way for that to whiplash of 
the churches talk a lot about mission, missions, people in the field, but but never push their congregation to do it. And that's one of the things that he always mm-hmm. did was even here in Birmingham, you know, he encouraged families to to consider the ways that in their everyday life they could they could yeah be missionaries. And yeah. like he had people move from very quote unquote safe. Um, and I don't mean just yeah. physically safe. I mean financially, um, you know, places in in the community to to needy places, places that they could be a salt and a light. And um, that's that's the money where your mouth is, guy. And I th- I think that is why um, one of the reasons is that people are coming or not coming around is not the right word, but kind of going yes, this this guy. It's because it's the money where your mouth is. Yeah, we you know obviously as I said earlier, the Hall of Dogma Church is Southern Baptist. If you knew us, you you, you might be wondering, hey, are these guys just rah rah in their guy? Are they just pumping up a, a Baptist guy? There's not of the three guys in this room. There's not a hardly a drop between us of denominationalism in us. We don't particularly care about that. Uh, we want to be biblical guys. We want to be Jesus guys. Um, the fact uh, that we're even talking about this, really, that kind of lends itself to to my point. Is that I, I don't, I, I just could not foresee us really talking about the IMB exactly. Apart from like what has happened with this, yes. with, with Platt, and so it, it's this would know. not be on our radar. No, this yeah, would not even be on our radar. Platt. We're not talking about the IMB. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, and you know he's leading the IMB, and it, you know, right? The, I understand, but I'm, it, I'm saying I, I know exactly. We're yeah, talking about the IMB because of Platt. Exactly, that's the, the way he's leading it. Because of the way he's leading it, and, and you know, he talked about the Moravians. I love the Moravians. In my mind, this is like the 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 greatest mission sending group since the the first century church. Uh, if you read about the Moravians, if you read about Count Zinzendorf, and, and he talked about it, he talked about how some of those young men would, would uh, Count Zinzendorf was the leader of the of the Moravians for for a time, kind of like the pastor, and also provided a lot of land. Um, the young men growing up in this this environment, um, they they really did. They sold themselves into slavery. They gave themselves to missions in a way that nobody else in the entire world was doing at the time. Uh, do yourself a favor. If you've never heard the Matt Papa song, The Reward yes. of His Suffering, go out and look that up. I, I love Matt Papa. He's not. Can find the, we need to find the YouTube video. Yeah, we need, to, we need to link that. But go listen to that song. Go look at the, the official music video. It's fantastic. It talks about the Moravians and missions and well worth your time to check out. And it, listen, if listening to Platt and watching that video doesn't get you pumped for taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, then check your heart because there's probably a problem there. I think it's. Yeah. I think. I think what he's saying is is quite stunning. In that, I think it would, it would take a lot of um, radical thought change. I mean, even hey, what he talked there about students. You know, you start thinking about sending your kids to college and kids going to college, not just as a way of um, them getting a degree so they can get a really good job and so they can, but mission mission oriented uh, a way for them to use that for missions and maybe even live in another country we have a, a, a one of the uh, members of the hall of dogma church here shout out to hannah uh, who hannah. listens to the uh, podcast but you know hannah is uh, about to graduate from nursing school and that has been her entire journey of getting into nursing, that is one of the things that she has talked about. One of the reasons that she wanted to get a nursing degree was that it would be something that she could use in mission work. Um, It would be something that whether God chose to send her somewhere long-term or short-term, that she would have opportunities to go overseas and be in an environment and use her medical skills um, to work uh, for the gospel and 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 work on mission. Now I understand her sister Rachel also has has done a lot of uh, mission trips. So we probably, being a, a twin sort of situation, it seems very dangerous to shout out to one and not the other. Yeah, one of the things that they love is you talking about you know the the whole twin thing. So well, good thing that you never did goes that. badly at all. I just wanted to good not job, Admiral dis- Admiral affirmation. <laughs> just, just that would have been awesome if I could have said that better. I like to say Admiral Affirmation. That was beautiful in the way that I was trying to make a promotion from Captain Crunchy. (laughs) Okay, so, but I think that kind of that kind of thinking, that kind of thinking, um, is not the norm. 
that's not the norm for moms and dads sending their kids to college. That's no, not, not the norm for the college students um, to, to think that way. But I think that's what Platt's talking about is getting this kind of new mindset of, look, what you're doing and going to college and getting your degree, how can that be parlayed into mission work? How can you use that for mission work? And, and I think it will take pastors, guys like us, helping ingrain that in the congregation, working alongside someone like the IMB, but yeah. to to help, you know, teach that and promote that and get that line um, to get that line of thinking in, in place in churches, because I don't think it's necessarily there now. I don't either. You know, a, a church our size, we're, the Hall of Dogma Church, not a huge church. Uh, a church our size probably... Well, we only had a 1,000 here this morning, which was, was okay, like, man, well, that's not where, huge. where is everybody? It's not Lakewood huge, and it's July. Um, church our size could maybe maybe support one... <laughs> well, was evangelistically speaking, a 1,000. Uh, a church our size could maybe support one full-time ministry, uh, missionary, right? Um but under the the this plat proposal, I mean, if if we're sending also known people, as the PP, the PP, we're sending people out into other fields. Uh, we can't make it on the mission field. This, this is supposed a, to be the serious unless part it's a daycare. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good word. <laughs> but look, we, we can send seven, eight, new junior high ten pastors. people out. Partially supporting them, but their their work overseas mm-hmm. also supporting them yep. doing tent yep. making. And I gotta say, there's no full time pastors at the Hall of Dogma Church. We all have other jobs, but tent making is is the original way of doing ministry. You know, right. Paul did it, and Paul was super effective. You don't always engage in tent making, but when you have to, you do it. And, and I, I can say from from long years of experience. I don't know. It takes a special kind of organized person to be incredibly fruitful in full-time ministry. Everybody wants to be in full-time ministry, but it takes a special kind of organized person to really give themselves fully devoted to ministry uh, with you know, not having any other jobs. And I think what Platt is, is going to is really geared towards the millennial mindset of of having more than one focus. I agree. What did you guys wipe <laughs> on me during that segment, by the way? I had nothing to because say. Because I'm terrified. Probably me, I'm sorry. Yeah. Nick, say something profound. It's also called the biblical way of doing it, Chase. Amen. There you go. All right. Well, this has been interesting. Our experiment of recording the way we are now has been <coughs> fun. Thank you for hanging in there with us the whole time. If you have feedback that's hopefully constructive and uh, on a on a relevant topic here. We'd love to have it. A couple of different ways to send it to us. Hit us up on Twitter, at my, at my gospel friends on Twitter. Um, email us at thegospelfriends at gmail.com. Um, we've got the Facebook group we mentioned before, hallofdogma.com, to get you there. Speakpipe, uh, speakpipe.com slash thegospelfriends or 205-575-9735 if you want to leave us a voicemail. Um, we'd, we'd love to have... Um, some correspondence with you like that. Yeah, if you can join like the Hall of Dogma, just so you know, our Facebook group, as Nick mentioned, hallofdogma.com, and the kind of discussions that go on in there, oh I mean, sometimes silly, sometimes um, serious. Right now, the discussion that is going on in the Hall of Dogma is, does illegal equal evil? Oh, boy. Is because something is illegal, does that automatically make it evil? And it's a, it's actually a a discussion – uh, based on last week's episode where yep. we talked about um, the uh, Planned Parenthood and uh, uh, the abortion issue. But uh, quite uh, quite intriguing, and that's uh, the type of discussions that happen in the Hall of Dogma all the time. So I think roughly about 20 25% of the people who listen to the podcast are in the Hall of Dogma. Yep. So there, there's a lot of you who are not, and we invite you to join and be a part of the conversation. And I, I would say even give it a try. We see a lot of people kind of join the Hall and then and then just kind of leave um, I, it I think can be a little scary. Yeah, I think it's I think it's something that you maybe have to spend a little bit of time <laughs> in and uh, and and kind of see what's happening and uh, you know don't don't judge too quickly would be my <laughs> yeah. There's there's my, that discussion. There's also a Chuck Norris meme. So you know we there you go. It gives you the, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, a couple of different ways to check us out. The is the place where you can find 
all of that as well as the ways to subscribe. Um, if you feel so inclined, if you enjoyed the show, um, not if you're one of those League of Mayhem members, but if you enjoyed the show, we'd love to have a review on iTunes, um, preferably of the five-star variety. So, um, But if, if you got something out of the show, enjoyed it, um, enjoyed the discussion, enjoy the community, please hop on iTunes and give us a review. That helps just get the word out about the show. Um, we're going to wrap it up for now. Um, the guys have already packed up, and um, they're ready to leave. So we're going to go ahead and say tune in next week when you may hear David say... So someone just asked me why Chase is in the corner drinking Germex. Uh, three words, dung spitting competition. <laughs> hey. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is a friend of mine.